Father God, it's such a privilege to whenever we come before you in prayer and petition. And God, we know that uh, we all have hurts and struggles and trials and, and celebrations. And Lord, it goes against our human nature when we want to praise you and honor you with prayer and hallelujahs during the midst of those. Lord, when we have struggles and trials and hurts, and it's hard for us to do, but just let your Holy Spirit strengthen us to be able to do that. We go before you and hallelujahs in prayer. We just thank you, God, that you're a loving God, that you love us no matter how infallible we are and how weak we are. You're always there to strengthen us. We just thank you for that and just uh, thank you for your son, Jesus. His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Scott. Tina and I have three children. Nick is our oldest. Eli is our second. Both of them boys, obviously. I have a lot in common with my boys. Love to spend time with them like fathers love to spend time with their sons. We love guns. We love hunting. We love shooting. We love horses. We love trucks. We love all kinds of different things together. We love to laugh with one another. And and as they don't live here, we send things back and forth to each other and have a chance just to laugh and stay connected that way. And it's it's a wonderful gift. And then we have a daughter. Her name is Katie. Katie lives in Texas now. She moved down just a a few weeks ago. Katie and I have a lot in common as well, things that we share. Love my little baby daughter. Katie and I love her mother's fried chicken like it is manna from heaven. We love that chicken. Katie and I love to ride horses together, and we especially like going in some places that nobody else has ever ridden with us. And we have special places tucked away in the Cabinet Mountains that are just ours. We have a mutual love of peach smoothies from Burger Express. When she's in town, we will do everything that we can to go to Burger and get a smoothie. And when she was living here these past few months, she would show up during her lunch break with a peach smoothie for me, or I'd pick one up for her and take it by the bank where she worked. But we share, and this is one of my greatest joys with her, we share a common love of worship music. As a result of that, we also share a Spotify account. Tina and I share it with Katie. So here's the way some things will work for us at times. She'll hear a new worship song that she absolutely falls in love with, and she'll put it on our playlist, whether she was in Kansas or whether now she's in Texas. And she'll text me right away and say, Dad, you've got to listen to this song. Tell me what you think. Or I'll hear a new worship song that I've fallen in love with, and I'll do the same thing. I'll put it on our playlist, and then right away I'll text her, message her, and say, Katie, you got to listen to this song. Tell me what you think. And, and we get the privilege of talking about the depth of those songs or the shallowness at times. We get to talk about what we like about them, and on and on and on it goes. Well, this last spring, she heard a new song, and she put it on her playlist. She was at work, actually, when she heard it. She texted me and said, Dad, you got to listen to this song, and I did. That night we were talking about it and and together decided that it needed to go to the top of our playlist, and it's been there for months. So when I hit play on our praise and worship playlist on Spotify, that's the very first song that plays. We've listened to it a lot. Tina and I just got back off of a road trip. We had hit play on that playlist a number of times. I've listened to it a lot. But it was not until this past week that I actually heard the backstory for this song. I'd never heard this. I'd never really investigated it. Raina is actually the one who was filling me in on bits and pieces of this as we were looking at the worship service for today. And it caused me to fall even deeper in love with this worship song. You're going to hear that story in just a minute. 
and then we'll introduce you to the song. And I think you're going to like it quite a bit. But before the worship team does that, and before Ray tells us some of the backstory and we have the privilege of watching a video that helps fill in some of the blanks, I want you to see a passage of Scripture. This is taken from Psalm chapter 35, verse 18. This is out of the New International Version. Look at how the psalmist writes it. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Ray, tell us about this song. A lot of songs that you come up upon, uh, probably more so in the Christian realm, have a story to them. The, the songwriters wrote it for a special reason. They've gone through some things in their life. Uh, they've gone through some hard times, and maybe this song has come out of their heart. Maybe this song is something that's benefited uh, somebody they really know. <clears throat> this song is kind of that way. Um, Joel and Janie Taylor have two children, a son and a daughter. One, the son is two years old and the daughter's four years old. And, uh, Joel Taylor may, it may not ring a bell, but Joel Taylor is the CEO of Bethel Music. If you've ever heard a lot of Christian music, Bethel Music is a pretty big name in Christian music. And anyway, they took his Jackson, little Jackson, two-year-old son, to the hospital thinking that he was having some childhood illnesses and things, you know. But once they start uh, checking him out, they find out that he has E. coli virus. And uh, so his kidneys start shutting down, and they start doing transfusions to him and doing different things, and it starts to get pretty severe. And so they have to ship him off uh, in, an in a helicopter. You'll see that in the, in the film. But uh, anyway, during the whole process, they had some good friends, which were worship leaders at their church, and very good friends of theirs. So they were keeping in touch with, the, with this family about uh, what was going on. I've come to a point where finally they said that they didn't think Jackson was going to make it over the night. And so this worship leader and his wife got down to pray, and he says in this this whole time, he says, here I am facing this giant of disbelief that we're not going to get to see a miracle. He said he, he believed that Jackson was going to die that night and we weren't going to get to see the things that were going to take place. But anyway, um, they got to a point, the parents got to a point where they just could not do anything. They, they'd prayed so much, they'd cried so much. Uh, finally, the the dad made this video that you're going to see, and it it, it kind of went viral in the in the Christian community and in the music industry community, and people were praying all over the world for him. And uh, this is this is what this is right here. This is a Christian community. This is what we call our Christian community, the community that we ask people to pray for us, uh, pray for needs, pray for different things. So this is a worldwide community that people were praying for this little boy. And uh, because they, they were to the point where they couldn't do it no more. They were so distraught, they just could not do it. They'd lost sleep, they were wore out, and they wanted other people to, to uh, interact for them. And uh, you'll see in the story how, how it turns out. Let's watch the video. We got the news that he was in an extremely serious condition, and it just went from worse to worse. In about a 12-hour time period, it, it went from He's just kind of had, had this little sick thing at home to life or death. We're, you know, we're in a, we're in a battle for a child's life and for a family. 
And so we rushed him to the ER. He was just like so sick and I could hardly, you know, get him to the hospital. The doctor had called me up and he said, I'm really concerned that he might have E. coli. The doctor had said that this is basically out of their realm of capabilities and that we had to go to a different children's hospital. And I was thinking, oh, that's going to be in the next few days. He said, no, you need to go tonight and you're going to get on a helicopter. We're going to fly him there. All of a sudden, his speech starts to slur. He just started not being able to communicate, not being able to respond. In the middle of the night, they rushed us up to the PQ and called the neurosurgeon in. They tested him and there was no response. There was no pain response. There was no recognition of me. And at that moment, I thought, I, I'm losing my son. Even if he makes it through this, I don't know if he'll ever know me again. He was just sprawled out on the bed and couldn't respond to anything. He was gone. There's a time when you said every prayer you can say, and you don't have the strength to praise and worship anymore. And you haven't slept for weeks. And you're just kind of undone. And that was a moment for me when I was undone. The flip side of that is, I feel like that was the moment that I really began to feel the prayers. We'd get good news and then worse news. It was so up and down, and so we go to the hospital, and they said they thought he'd be okay, so they sent us home. And then to find out that he's worse than you even thought the first time. And then you're at the hospital, and you're thinking, you know, he's going to get better. And then you find yourself with a helicopter. I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms and just like began to weep. And I could just feel like, like, we're going to lose. Like, we're going to lose Jackson. Like, we're not going to win this one. There's not going to be victory on this battlefield. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up that only moments of trauma and intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like, it's, it's, your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like, the Lord's not gonna hear it. This is gonna be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that, um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. It still humbles me and baffles me. The power of global prayer, the power of community, the power of believing together. He started talking again. What did you just paint a picture of? You know, he was, you could tell it was, it was still like fragile, it was still coming back, but he was talking again and that was like amazing. We believe in the power of praise. We've seen God do a lot. And I don't know the secret to all of it, but I do know that Jackson is well today. And I can't help but wonder or think that uh, that, that praise had a part of that.
this gospel is not haphazard. It's not a Russian roulette. It's not a guessing game. It is the absolute nature of God revealed through his goodness and his kindness. And what is necessary is for the people of God to rise to the occasion, to face the impossibilities of life with the confidence of God's character, his nature, and his promise. There's no other option. We were called to this. This is our responsibility. It is our privilege. I'm going to sing the song, and there's a phrase in there that says, My weapon is my melody. What kind of giants do you guys face? Do you face giants of uh, disbelief, unbelief? Do you face giants of depression, giants of fill-in-the-blank, unforgiveness? But you know, you can take that weapon that's a melody, and you can turn that into praise and hallelujah, and uh, defeat that giant. Remember when David and Goliath were in battle? Goliath was pointing that sword at David and said, this isn't going to happen. Well, what happened? The same sword that Goliath was pointing at David, he cut his head off with. David cut his head off with. We can do that through praise. And it just takes a lot to get to that point. But as we sing this song, just think of the words of this song. This has got some great message. But it's all about singing a hallelujah and raising a hallelujah in the times when we need to. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah my weapon is the melody I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder, gonna hear my praises roar up from the Everything inside of me I raise a hallelujah I will watch the darkness flee I raise a hallelujah In the middle of the mystery I raise a hallelujah 
Sadly enough, most people skip right over the depth of what it means. And that is truly tragic. Particularly when you find yourself at a place where you have prayed in such a way that you have no prayers left. When you have no energy, as he said, for praise or worship. That's the place of hallelujah. That's where it comes from. In those moments, hallelujah rises out of us as we lift it up before the Lord. Hallelujah is so spiritual that many people never experience it because they don't understand really what it means. So this morning I want us to explore that. I want us to get into the depth of hallelujah. I hope you brought your Bibles with you because we're going to do a lot of teaching and we're going to jump into the deep end of the pool to do it. So I hope you have a Bible and I hope that you will follow along with me. This word, hallelujah, shows up 22 times in the Hebrew Bible just in the book of Psalms. 22 times in the book of Psalms alone, hallelujah shows up. That means we better pay attention to it. One of the places that we see it most prevalently is in the last five chapters of the book of Psalms. In fact, you could take those five chapters and set them aside just like the Jewish people do or the Hebrew people do and call them their own book. 
The Hebrew people refer to these five chapters as the Hallel book, the book of Israel's praises. And I want you to see why they refer to it that way. So go with me to Psalm chapter 146, and then we're going to go through 150. Not reading all of it, so don't get too concerned. Psalm 146, verse 1. Look at how this begins. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now let's go to the last verse the last line. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord. Now in the 147th Psalm, first verse, first line, same thing, praise the Lord. The last verse, the last line, the same words are there, praise the Lord. Psalm 148, the very first line of the first verse, praise the Lord. And the last line of the last verse, praise the Lord. Psalm 149, the first line of the first verse says, Praise the Lord. And the last line of the last verse says, Praise the Lord. And then Psalm 150, you're seeing a pattern. The first line of the first verse says, Praise the Lord. And the last verse, I want you to pay attention to the whole of the last verse, says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In the Hebrew Bible, every time you would see the words, praise the Lord, you would actually see the word hallelujah. So we're in Psalm 150. This is the way that would read. Hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. And then as we get down to the last verse, it would say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There's that word. The Hebrew people knew how to use it. The psalmist knew how to use it. In these five chapters, it rises to the top over and over and over again. We translate hallelujah as praise the Lord. The Hebrew people would actually take two words and bring them together to form the word hallelujah and to form the idea or the concept of it. The first word from the Hebrew language that they use is the word hallel or hallelujah. This is what it looks like. And it means, praise ye. In the King James Version of the Bible, if you happen to have one in front of you, you would be reading, praise ye the Lord. Hallel or hallelujah means that very thing. Praise ye. Now, here's the really interesting thing about this. I'm about to nerd out on you. I'm just going to go full on biblical nerd. This may not matter to you, but I have to tell you, it gets me crazy excited. So I want you to dial in with me for just a minute as we explore this. This, this is something. A fellow named Dr. Henry Morris, who works for the Institute for Creation Research, came up with this. This is not mine. Dr. Morris says that there are 22 letters in the Hebrew language. 22 letters. Now just a, a few minutes ago, at two different times, I told you how many times the word hallelujah shows up in the book of Psalms. Did you catch it? 22. Good on you. You were listening. So Dr. Morris says that there is a deep connection between the number of letters in the Hebrew language and the number of times that hallelujah shows up in the Hebrew Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms. He says it this way. Take a look. The very purpose of language is for God to reveal his word to man and for man to respond with thanksgiving and praise to God. 
Now, Dr. Morris's belief is because we have 22 letters in the Hebrew language, in the English language we have 26, Hebrew has 22, and the word hallelujah shows up 22 times in the book of Psalms the way it does. His belief is that God gave us language, spoken and written language, so that he could reveal his word to us and then we could take language and turn that into praise and worship of him. See why that's so crazy interesting? And 22 letters and 22 times with the use of one word helps him see that in a huge, huge way. Now, here's another part that you have to know, because you might just say, well, that's in the Hebrew language, and that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't really matter because of where we live today, and it really doesn't even have New Testament application, at which time I would say, oh, be careful before you say that. So remember, we're, we're nerding out a little bit here. I want you to dial in. Don't leave me on this, because this is cool, and it matters. When we transliterate from the Hebrew language to the Greek language, the word hallelujah, when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we go from hallelujah to alleluia. And then later on, there are four times when in the New Testament we will transliterate back from the Greek to the Hebrew, and four times the Hebrew word hallelujah will be used. But I'm not going to show that to you yet. That's coming a little bit later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But now, I want you to go to the book of Revelation. Keep your finger there in the book of Psalms, because we're going to come back. But go with me to the book of Revelation, and listen to how Jesus describes himself. This is Revelation chapter 22. I'll give you a minute to get there. Verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Now that is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, here you are in the book of Revelation, those words would be in red. That means that Jesus said those words. Listen again to what he says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In the Greek language, the word Alpha is the first letter of the Greek language. Omega is the last letter of the Greek language. So Jesus is using language to describe himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But he uses language to prove it. Now Dr. Morris says we need to pay attention to that as well because it's not just a Hebrew Old Testament idea that says that language is used by God to reveal his word to us and then to become praise. It is a New Testament idea as well, given to us by Jesus. Isn't that cool? Okay, I, I thought it was. That, that's all right. If you're not with me, then let me crank it up a notch, and I'll help you see something else with this. So if that didn't blow you away, let's look at the second part of the word hallelujah so that you can put the whole thing together, and then maybe this light bulb will go off over your head. Here is the second part of it. We've already looked at Hallel or Hallelujah. The last part of the word Hallelujah also comes from the Hebrew, but not just from the language, it comes from God Himself. The last part of Hallelujah, Yah, is actually a shortened version of God's personal name. Are you following me? 
It is the shortened version of His name, Yahweh. Now, some of you already know that that is the shortened version of Yahweh, but are you aware of the fact that that is God's chosen name? Not just His given name, that is His chosen name. Now, what I mean by that is this. There are a number of different names for God throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. But Yahweh is the name that God says, you you call me that. That's my name. It comes from Exodus chapter 3. If you want to turn there with me, in fact, I encourage you to because this is, this is good stuff. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. This is familiar to a lot of people that have studied the Old Testament. If you were in Sunday school growing up, you heard these words. Exodus 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, usually when we tell this story or we study this story or we read this story, we get hung up on the I am part of it. And we stop right there. Because that is a declarative statement from God. I am who I am. I am has sent you. That's what the Lord is saying. So we stop right there because it is so powerful and so impressive. But what a shame if we don't go on. So let's go on. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now this is God's chosen name. And you're thinking, what was the name? Well, let's go back in verse 15. You're going to read right away, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord. Underline that, highlight that in your Bible. Because in the Hebrew Bible, in the original languages, this is what it would say. Yahweh. Yahweh has sent me to you. Now we know that because of the way it is written in your Bible. If you're looking at it, you will see the word the and then the word Lord in all capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see it written that way, that is a reference to God's chosen name, Yahweh. That's what the capital letters mean. When you see capital L and then O-R-D in lowercase letters, that is a title. That's a declarative title. But when you see it in all caps, that is in the Hebrew language the name Yahweh. It is reference to God's chosen name. So he's saying, and this is just our translation of it when we say the Lord, because Yahweh doesn't resonate with us, we translate it this way. He's saying, Yahweh has sent me to you. Now let's go back to hallelujah. When we get to the Yah part of it, that's a shortened version of Yahweh. And the Hebrew people use it just like that. My name is Philip. That is my given name, spelled with one L. That's the biblical spelling of Philip. A lot of people put two L's in. My parents put one. That's cool. But a lot of times when people write my name down, there's two L's in it. But it is Philip with one L. The shortened version of it is Phil. God's chosen name is Yahweh. The shortened version of that is Yah. When you put the two together, you get hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. So you can see it up here. Yah or Jah is Yahweh or the Lord. 
Hallelujah means praise ye the Lord. And the whole idea of hallelujah comes out when we have prayed in such a way that we have no prayers left. And we have no energy left for praise or worship. When we are, as the man said in the video, completely undone, hallelujah begins to rise up. Hallelujah begins to take over. It is not simply a matter of praying and praising and thanking God for who He is. Hallelujah is much deeper than that. Hallelujah is much more significant than that. The whole idea of hallelujah comes out of some of the deepest places of our lives. The idea, the concept, even the very word hallelujah sometimes comes out of the darkest moments of our life. And it can come equally out of the best moments of our life. Hallelujah comes from such a unique place within us that there is no way to replace it. There is nothing else that we can offer. That's how special this word is. Captured by the psalmist in words like this. This is Psalm chapter 71, verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed. Who sought to do me hurt? That's the psalmist way of helping us understand where hallelujah comes from. And that is actually a very good question. If this concept is so significant that 22 times in the book of Psalms it is used and the Hebrew people have a word for hallelujah that comes from just simply the idea of praise the Lord, they put it together to this type of a significant song. It has to come from a special place. And it does. And that's part of what helps us understand why hallelujah is different than just praise or thanksgiving. For a lot of people, praise and worship comes from their heart. And it should. There's no question about that. But the praise and the worship that comes from our heart, more often than not, is emotional in nature. Because our heart governs our emotions. Even happiness and joy come from our heart. Those are emotions that come from there. And they can be changed rapidly. They can be changed like the wind. However, science, modern science has proven that there is great significance in the idea of joy. This is what they have come to realize. And this comes from the medical realm. So follow me all the way through this. These scientists have discovered that joyful people that have learned how to express that joy are traditionally happier in every aspect of their life because they have learned how to express joy. Not only are they happier in every aspect of their life, traditionally, typically, they have more energy and a much better outlook on their future because they've learned how to express joy. That makes them somewhat different than the people that walk around downcast all the time, kicking the dirt. Those that have learned how to live a heartfelt, joyous life get to experience those types of things. And there are other side effects of joy as well, positive ones. Like this, these scientists have discovered that people that know how to express joy are on average physically healthier than people that don't know how to express joy. They actually live a better quality of life with fewer ailments than those people that walk around with their face down kicking the dirt. 
Those same scientists have discovered that people that are joy-filled have stronger earthly relationships. They are less envious and less materialistic than other folks. There is a huge, huge byproduct and side effect of joy that leads to happiness, which a lot of times we want to think that we reverse that. Happiness leads to joy, but it's not that way. Joy leads to happiness. All of that emanates out of our hearts. But that's not hallelujah. Hallelujah comes from someplace much deeper than that. And the psalmist gave us insight into that. If you were listening when we read from Psalm 71, hallelujah is a soul response. Hallelujah comes from the depths of who we are. Hallelujah rises up from a deep place within us that is a reflection of a transformed life because it is not something that is blown and tossed. Hallelujah is something that is there all the time in the good or the bad and every place in between. Hallelujah is this idea that says, I have been so changed by the Lord that I will never leave Him. And I know that He will never, ever leave me. I'm confident in that. I am convinced in that. Some of the depth of that is reflected in places like this. The 23rd Psalm, 4th verse, most people are familiar with Psalm 23, but a lot of times we don't get into verse 4 the way we should. Listen to what David writes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. That's a hallelujah response. Though the word is not used there, David is saying, even though I am walking through the darkest times of my life, I'm not going to fear, because I know that God is with me. I know that His rod and His staff will comfort me. That's a hallelujah response. Job, in his very telling book, would have one much like that. You know the story behind the book of Job. Job was tested by Satan with God's permission. He lost everything. He lost everything. And then in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he would say, Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. Yet I will argue my ways to His face. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him, Job says. And he argued his case before the Lord, and the Lord listened for a while, and then God put his case in front of Job, but then God followed it up with blessings seven times greater because of Job's hallelujah response. Here's the difference between hallelujah and traditional praise. Traditional praise can be offered when everything's going good in our life, and people are very willing to praise in those moments. Things are going exactly the way I want them to. God is blessing me. He's giving me what I have asked for. But then when the nickel gets flipped over and it isn't that way, the praise dries up. Praise gets replaced with doubt. When that doubt begins to take over, we question whether God even exists. That was the enemy of unbelief that we heard that man talking about. Some of you have experienced that enemy Though you have walked with the Lord for years and years and years and years, when everything got turned upside down, you found yourself saying, I don't know if there is a God, and if there is one, I don't know that He loves me, because look at what's happening in my life. That's how praise and worship can dry up when it only comes from our hearts. But hallelujah, when it is growing within us, boy, it's totally different. I have a friend here in town that, lives that first way all the time. Every day is like that for him. If things are going good, he is happy. And he gives credit to God for it. 
he has a specific prayer that he offers before the Lord all the time. And it is always the same prayer. And if he feels like God is responding to that prayer and the answer is in front of him, then he's thrilled and he can't wait to tell people about what God has done. But when that answer stops or things get turned upside down and the enemy of unbelief creeps up in his life in such a dramatic way that he would tell you, I don't even know if there is a God. I'll pop in to see him when I know that things have gone bad and I know that things have gone bad when he's not in church. So I go by to visit with him and he'll say to me very pointedly, Phil, I don't even want to see you right now. I don't even want to talk to you right now. And I know what's happening in those moments. And then when I finally force the issue and he has to talk to me, he'll tell me and he, and he doesn't hold back on this. He'll say very pointedly, very openly, I don't even know if there is a God. And if there is, why would he do this to me? How could he do this to me? If he loves me, how could he do this to me? But he'll continue to offer his same prayer. And then when he feels like God is answering that prayer, which by the way, sometimes it isn't God answering that prayer. Sometimes life is answering that prayer. Sometimes life is putting something in front of him that he really wants. I won't blame God for all of it. Then he's happy. And he'll be back in church and he'll tell me about how happy he is. But I know it's coming when the bottom will fall out. And then once again, he'll tell me, I don't even know if there is a God. Everything is heart-based for him. He's never discovered hallelujah. He's never figured out that that has to come out of your soul. And when it comes from your soul, it becomes a part of your life. It becomes a reflection of who you are. It becomes a reflection of the relationship that you have with God. Hallelujah is a relational term. It is all about praise ye the Lord, my Lord. Whether things are good or bad, hallelujah. Whether things are in the extremes or in the norms, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. It's not just lip service. It is a soul reaction to the presence of God. That's hallelujah. And when we learn to live it, and live it generously. We're in a sermon series right now on living generously. When we learn how to live, hallelujah, generously, we begin to give it away. Now once we've asked the question, where does this come from? And we realize that it's not just our heart, it's our soul. The natural question to follow is, how do I get it? How do I get to a place where I can learn hallelujah and live hallelujah? I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible tells us. Let me take you back to the book of Psalms. This time to the 66th chapter. Psalm 66. This is not a Hallel psalm, but it could be. It teaches us a lot about a life of hallelujah. Though it never uses the term, it still teaches a lot. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. So here's the first place that hallelujah begins within us. It begins on your lips. It begins with your language. Remember what Henry Morris would talk about. We were given language so that God could reveal His Word to us and we could in turn 
praise Him for what He has given to us. So it begins with your mouth. Hallelujah begins right there because that's a place of developing a discipline. And hallelujah is a disciplined reaction to the redemption that we have experienced. That's what hallelujah is. So it has to begin on your lips. Now let me take a a quick break here for just a second. Because the next word that you're going to see in your Bible is really a curious one. This doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today. You can have this for free. I just want to explain it to you. No extra charge. I just want you to understand this as we move forward. The next word in your Bible is the word Selah or Selah. It is also a significant word in the Bible. It shows up 74 times. 71 times in the book of Psalms and three times in the book of Habakkuk. Now here's what's really curious about it. Nobody knows what it means. Nobody. Even the students and the scholars of the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, they have no idea what it means. There are all kinds of ideas that have been thrown around. Some people, if they are musically inclined, believe that it is a musical term. There are other people that lean to the intellectual that believe that it is a declarative term. There are other people that lean towards the practical that have their own practical applications of the word sila or sela, but nobody knows. If somebody tries to tell you emphatically what this word means, you be careful, you be leery, because nobody knows. It is one of the most mysterious words in all of the Bible. And I am sure that when we get to heaven, because it is mentioned 74 times, the Lord's going to let us know what it means. And we're going to have complete understanding, but right now we don't. So just accept the mystery that surrounds that word. But it has a place somewhere within hallelujah. Look at what the psalmist says next, verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Once you have started to practice hallelujah with your mouth, with your language, with your lips, It progresses into your eyes. And this is progressive in nature. So we start with the mouth, we start with language, and then it goes to our eyes as we begin to look around to see what God has done and what God is doing. Hallelujah says, I have to broaden my vision that I might see the Lord. Come and see what the Lord has done. Start looking around to see how the Lord is on the move. That is part of hallelujah. That's a significant, huge part of hallelujah. As your language and your lips are expressing it, your eyes will begin to see more that needs to be expressed. And then there's the third stop. Verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Once hallelujah has started in your lips and it has broadened your vision and your eyes are seeing all that God has done, then worship becomes an expression. 
Worship becomes a natural outpouring of hallelujah. And the psalmist is saying, I'll bring sacrifices before the Lord. I will honor the vows that I have brought before Him. All of that is a part of hallelujah. Worship is a part of hallelujah. It started here and it broadened your vision so that when you come into worship, you're coming in in a pure way to be able to say, thank you, God, because of all that I have seen, all that I have done. Worship in true, generous hallelujah is a reflection of what God is doing and has done. And then there's the fourth step. I like this one a lot. Verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will tell what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because He has not rejected my my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. Do you follow what the psalmist says? Once you're living hallelujah, other people will know you'll start giving it away. You'll start telling other people. And that's what hallelujah is designed for. It is designed for you to tell other people what God has done. Hallelujah is designed, the concept of it is built around us spreading what the Lord has done in our lives. Come and hear. Come and hear. Let me tell you. It's the power of your testimony. And your testimony should be a hallelujah testimony. This is what God has done. And when we share it with other people, they have opportunity to receive it as well. They have opportunity to respond to it. That may very well be the very reason that Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Because that is a salvation moment that is a hallelujah moment. When a person is baptized, there needs to be other people there to see it, to witness it, so that you are confessing Jesus before men, so that in turn, He will confess you before His Father in heaven. And why wouldn't you want them to experience the hallelujah moment that you are in right then, right there? And that sets the stage for everything else, so that you keep sharing your testimony with others. You keep giving away your hallelujah. You keep telling people what God has done all the way through to the end. Now, if that still isn't resonating with you, as we get ready to close this, I'm just going to take it up a whole other notch. Because I told you a few minutes ago that four times in the New Testament, we transliterate from the Greek back to the Hebrew. Remember, in the Old Testament, it's the word hallelujah. By the time we get to the Greek, it is alleluia. And then... Four times in the New Testament, we go from hallelujah back to hallelujah, back to the original Hebrew. And in the process of all of that, we have the English transliteration of it, which is praise ye the Lord. But in this particular application, it is the pure Hebrew that is called for four times. And all of them are found in the exact same place. Revelation chapter 19. This is cool. Revelation 19. I hope you can tell I'm kind of excited about this. There's a, there's a passion and energy about this type of living, about hallelujah living. And this is why. Right here, this is why. Revelation 19. The Apostle John writes, 
After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just, for He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Now this comes at a time in biblical prophecy after the catching up of the church, the rapture of the church. This comes after the tribulation when the martyred saints are before the throne of God and the judgment of God has been revealed. It has been delivered. It is taken care of. All of that has happened and the saints are gathered around the throne of God singing hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. We are in the presence of God Himself. The hope of our salvation has been realized. Hallelujah. That's what they're singing. But if that's not enough for you, let's just crank it up another notch. Still in chapter 19, verse 6, we're about to get a glimpse of a thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where Jesus comes and sits down with all of His children, with all of the saints. This is where final, final restitution and reconciliation and relationship is realized. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is sitting with His church, His bride. He's the bridegroom and we are the bride. And Jesus sits down with us. And when that happens, hallelujah flows. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now tucked away in all of that, the angel is talking to John and he says this in verse 9, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those that have been invited and responded to that invitation, hallelujah begins to rise up within us. And then we begin to raise that hallelujah as a praise given before God, whether things are good or bad or anywhere in between. Hallelujah is raised up and it comes from our soul. And that's part of the blessing. If you have been invited to that celebration, marriage supper of the Lamb, and you have. The question you have to ask is, have you responded in such a way that you know you'll be there? Have you responded in such a way in hallelujah that you know without any question in your mind that when that time comes, you will sit down with Jesus and you'll hear what He has to say and your voice will join together with all the other voices to raise that final hallelujah in the presence of our Savior. That's the question you have to ask. We'll ask it too. 
Over these next few moments, that's exactly what we're doing. We're asking you if you have brought your hallelujah together with everybody else's so that you can raise it at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Will you be there? That's your question to answer. God's already invited. Have you responded to the invitation? If you haven't, you can do that today. You can go over here and talk to Deanie and tell him that that's what you need to do and he'll make sure you have the opportunity. The baptistry is on. It's warm. We have clothes here. If you want to declare your love for Jesus before men so that he will declare his for you before God, you can do that today. And we encourage you to, to bring your hallelujah and raise it up with all the saints. We're going to stand and pray together. Father in heaven, what an invitation to come and join you at the marriage supper. What an invitation. What a blessing. What a soul transformation. I'm so thankful for it, Lord. So thankful for it. And I am grateful that so many of the people in this room will be there around the throne. But you know I'm concerned for those that won't. And today that could change. And I pray that it will. I know, Lord, that my concern pales in comparison to yours. So much so that you died on a cross to make it possible. So I pray, Lord, that we will raise a hallelujah before you, beginning with salvation. I'm praying that today, for those that need to see it change, they will. And I'm praying that in Jesus' name with great faith. Amen.